a reading and interview with National Magazine award-winning writer Carly Baker, an interview with ex-NMA manager and writer Leah Edwards, and a quick update on awards and resources from MaxPC Executive Director Sylvia Skeen. That's today on iHeart Magazines, the podcast from the Magazine Association of BC, sharing the love of making and reading West Coast magazines. Welcome to the iHeart Magazine's podcast. In this episode, we're taking a look at the world of magazine awards and its place in the publishing landscape. Our first guest today is Leah Edwards. Leah is a writer and communications professional living in Hamilton, Ontario. She holds a master's in English in the field of creative writing from the University of Toronto. Her work has been published in Room Magazine and is forthcoming in Hazlitt. Leah also worked at the National Media Awards Foundation as a Programs and Communications Manager until last year, so she has some interesting insights into how the awards function. For those listening, here is some information about the National Media Awards Foundation from their website, mediafoundation.ca. The National Media Awards Foundation, or NMAF, is a bilingual charity dedicated to promoting excellence in journalism and visual creation. Through its awards programs, National Magazine Awards, Digital Publishing Awards, and National Magazine Awards B2B, the Foundation promotes the development of healthy journalism by encouraging both seasoned professionals and the next generation to continue their vital work for our society. Thanks so much for speaking with us, Leah, and welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. You worked at the National Media Awards Foundation. Can you tell us a bit about your role there? What was the experience like? Yeah, for sure. So I started at the NMAF as an intern, and I moved through a few different roles before becoming the programs and communications manager. Um, And in that role, I did a little bit of everything, everything from writing press releases to editing web content, uh, from event planning to program planning, from social media strategizing to interviewing creators. I also worked quite closely with our roster of volunteer judges, and part of that included moderating the, the judging conference calls. So I got to listen in on the conversations and hear experts discuss what makes for an award-winning piece of journalism. So that was always a highlight of the job. Overall, it was just a job that really uh, helped to fuel my own creative pursuits and brought in my communication skill set. And it was a good deep dive into the world of magazines. Speaking about the world of magazines, there is a conversation to be had about industry awards and the role that they play in nurturing both established and emerging magazine professionals. You have an insider's perspective. Do you think we're doing enough to improve equity and inclusion in this sense? Um, Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's always more that can be done to improve equity and inclusion. Um, But I do think that the NMAF's initiatives, in particular, the Best Emerging Writer Award and the Emerging Excellence Award, um, those are helpful in providing an important access point for those just starting out in their careers. Just around the time that I left the NMAF, they actually launched a BIPOC mentorship program open to to early and mid-career BIPOC publishing professionals. And I think that's a really great initiative. Um, And I definitely think there's space in the industry for for similar programs to be built up. More generally, um, I've noticed that there's also been some movement towards removing age limitations on these emerging type awards or mentorship programs, which is good because there are certainly people over the age of 30 who are just getting started with their creative careers. 
And in your time that you were there, these emerging awards or mentorship programs, did you find that they were getting a successful response from the community? Um, yeah, in my experience, I think those awards were well received and we always got uh, quite a few entries uh, for those program categories. And I think they really helped to to push um, emerging writers' careers forward and open up pu- open up publication opportunities for them. Speaking about creators, you're a writer as well, and you've had your work published in magazines. I remember reading your story, Marion's Holy Land Experience, in Rue Magazine's issue 43.4, for those of you who want to go and check it out. And I was absolutely floored by the writing and the unique way that you treated the subject matter. Is there something specific that inspires or motivates you to write? Uh, well, first, thank you. That's really that's really nice to hear. Um, in my early 20s, I spent some time living in Florida and, and just going on road trips. And those were really generative experiences that I still, I still tend to draw from. Outside of travel, I think that, that reading broadly, um, I've been reading a lot of short story collections throughout the pandemic. Uh, provides inspiration in terms of just seeing what other writers are doing and how they're doing it, kind of picking up on their technique and craft. Motivation is a bit trickier. Um, every once in a while, I'll have a really good writing day where everything just kind of feels easy and flows. And I think I'm always chasing after those those rare moments. How do you think magazines have contributed to your writing career? I think that just reading a wide range of magazines and learning who publishes what what type of work specific magazines look for. Um, that's been really helpful when it comes to deciding where to submit my own work. I don't know that it's made the submissions process easier, um, but perhaps, you know, just having that understanding of the magazine landscape has made the process more efficient. And just outside of your career, what kind of magazine content, be it writing or photography or art, do you personally like to consume? A little bit of everything, but mostly mostly writing, mostly fiction. Um, I'm a big fan of Brick, Room, Grain, the Malahat Review, the Feathertail Review. Um, there are just so many, so many good lit mags in Canada. I know you've moved on to another role now in digital communications. This is something I want to touch upon. So in magazine publishing, at least in my experience, there is definitely a trend of people coming and going and then coming back in different capacities sometimes. Many people have more than one specific set of skills and they end up working in varied roles throughout their career. What are your thoughts on that? How does it shape magazine publishing in general in your experience? Yeah, I think that that the magazine industry can be a tough one to stay in. Um, I mean, practically speaking, people might find more financial stability and security in a different industry. Um, And I sometimes wonder, too, if people in creative industries maybe have a tendency to wander, to want to experience new opportunities and use their skills in just different capacities or take risks. And I can see why people come back. It's definitely a satisfying um, environment to work in, to work in like a creative space. I'm not sure I have quite enough experience to comment on how it shapes magazine publishing, but I would think that it allows for some some sort of cross-pollination between industries and between publications, and that it allows for new voices and new ideas to be heard, um, which I think are good things. I completely agree. I think it keeps the industry dynamic and I think it also helps it keep up with the times. For sure, especially with the the movement towards digital publishing. Um, I think having a younger generation taking on some of those roles um, and jobs is definitely helpful. It was wonderful to chat with you, Leah. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much.
Welcome back to the iHeart Magazine's podcast. Our second guest on this episode is Carly Baker, who is an author and teacher of Cree, Métis, and European descent. Born and raised on Stolo territory, she currently lives on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Her debut story collection, Bad Endings, won the City of Vancouver Book Award and was also a finalist for the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize and the Emerging Indigenous Voices Award for Fiction. Her short stories and essays have been translated into several languages and anthologized in Canada, the United States, and Europe. Her newest collection, Last Woman and Mudlarkers, a novel, are forthcoming with McClelland and Stewart. As a teacher and researcher, she is particularly interested in how contemporary fiction can be used to address the climate crisis. Her novel in progress, Mudlarkers, is a darkly satirical look at how modern conservationist movements have displaced indigenous voices on issues of land stewardship. She was a 2019-2020 Shadbolt Fellow in the Humanities Department at Simon Fraser University, where she also teaches creative writing. Kali also won silver in the fiction category at the National Magazine Awards this year for her story, Outraged on Your Behalf, published in Subterrain Magazine. Welcome, Kali. Thanks for being here and congratulations on winning the award. Thank you for having me. And wow, yeah, that was so exciting. I'll be honest, I was ha- having my hair done and pretending like it didn't matter. Like I was one of those cool writers who, who <laughs> was like, oh, did I win? But I was I'm absolutely checking my phone every couple of minutes. And how how exciting. It's, it's, a, it's an honor. It's a real honor. Oh, it's a well-deserved honor. That's a lovely story. Thank you. And Troy Sebastian won gold, who is just honestly one of my favorite writers and people. Carly will be reading an excerpt from her award-winning story, Outraged on Your Behalf. Okay, thank you. I'm just going to read the the first couple of pages from Outraged on Your Behalf. It's Wednesday. The office has AC and a hanging string of bead plants that cascades to the floor. There are deadlines, but you're scrolling, ready for anything. Photoshop. Somebody posts in the comments section below a photo of Bob Dylan goosing Jack Kerouac. Undergraduate poets will argue about it for days. In Myanmar, an aerobics instructor named Kin Hing Wai records a workout in the capital city and accidentally captures the first few moments of a military coup. She never breaks stride while black armored vehicles roll in behind her. For three days, the video was everywhere. Today, you find it on YouTube. Fake, TrickDiddle93 posts, look at the shadows behind her. This post gets 700 upvotes and a hearty discussion on the cost of motion capture. Hanhet Ko identifies himself as Myanmarese and assures the comment section that this is real and King Hinwai records a fitness show every day in this location, until the coup, that is. He gets no upvotes. In minutes, the comment is lost in a landslide of spe- speculation on how exactly green screens work. The actual truth of the story isn't important to the squirrel daddies, as you call them. It's the opportunity to argue endlessly in search of the one truth, whatever sounds the best to the majority. An exercise that requires so many takes, they deserve a biological group name. An embarrassment of takes, maybe, though the -the on-the-noseness of it leaves you dissatisfied. No, you say out loud, to break the spell. Reading the comments section only frustrates things. The woman in the adjoining cubicle cocks an ear in your direction, but you ignore her. You need to revolutionize the system, change the game. Which game is still unclear, because they all need changing. You type... We need to do something about, and pause. After a while, you find a tweet about workplace equity that seems juicy and read what others are saying about it until the fire season hashtag takes over your feed. 
pictures of that apocalyptic sunrise no digital camera ever gets right, a maraschino cherry and a shot of dishwater. The photos are coming from all across the province and south into the states, California, where it burns so hard every summer, mom says it's a wonder there's any celebrities left. But it's your province burning hard this year. Lightning strikes, careless smokers. In the last eight hours, a fire at Tetley Creek has jumped the highway and burned through 70 hectares in the direction of your hometown. The regional district map is dotted with cartoonish markers that look like flame emojis. It's lunchtime, so you stick a burrito in the staff room microwave and text your parents, everything okay out there? Packing up, just in case, is the reply. You run a mental inventory of all your stuff that's still at their condo in boxes under the stairs. Old papers from university and stuffed animals, Christmas decorations, things you'd meant to take with you to the city, but there was never enough room. Then you remember the sleeping bag, too bulky for anything other than car camping fleece lined with a cowboy print right out of the 50s. The musty hug of that sleeping bag fills the staff room and sinks you into a chair until a coworker huffs about needing the microwave. A text, can you pack the sleeping bag, is left in your drafts. At three o'clock, you buy a pack of cigarettes and smoke two in the alley before getting in the car to drive home. On the way over the bridge, people are taking pictures of the pristine inlet before smoke season sets in. On Thursday morning, the text arrives, evacuating, on our way. You text back, like a vacation, but they don't respond. When you were a kid, your teacher parents got summers off, but no pay, so vacations were done on the cheap. You crossed the border and camped down the U.S. coastline. They always insisted on leaving before dawn. It was cooler and the roads were empty. They made a bed for you in the backseat of the station wagon and put a Capri Sun juice in the cup holder. Under the sleeping bag, your view was of the streetlights they passed on the way out of town. And when those disappeared, the trip officially started. Every time new lights split across the car roof like a laser, the possibility of a pit stop presented itself. But dad only stopped when mom wanted a coffee. When the sun rose, you knew the campground was getting close. Usually you arrived before the people camping in your sight had left. So you and your parents sat in a booth at IHOP, eating slowly, pancakes with pineapple and bananas and tiger butter the parents drinking cup after cup of coffee, watching the parking lot fill up with locals. This nostalgia is too indulgent for the office. A finger in the string of beads plants reveals dry soil. So you consider pouring a glass of water into it, but the tag says drought resistant. You drink the water instead. My parents are getting evacuated, you say to the woman in the cubicle. She shakes her head slowly. I'm so sorry. Her empathy is fake, but the words feel good. At five o'clock, you leave the office and are faced with that same sun from the internet and the smell of smoke. The closest fires are 300 kilometers away. Your parents will have traveled 200 kilometers by now and will be arriving at the door around seven. The provincial state of emergency should have allowed you to take off early, but they don't work that way. It gives the government power to seize personal property, restrict travel, or enter into any building or land without a warrant. And that's about it. Your car does not have AC, so you sweat like overnight cheese, cataloging clean sheets and towels and trying to remember the last time you dusted the guest room. It won't matter, you say out loud, but it will matter. They need to see an adult in an adult's home. Adults dust the guest room. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, now I have a few questions for you. All right. My first question is, your short story covers a lot of ground. 
climate change, familial relationships, social media, outrage culture, the nature of truth. What was it like to bring all of these pieces together for the story? <laughs> yeah, thank you. It, it's a, yeah, there's a lot going on here. And this story really surprised me as it evolved. Um, because I have to be honest with you, it came from a pretty grumpy place. Uh, I, I say grumpy because it wasn't necessarily righteous anger, the kind of anger that gets stuff accomplished. Uh, I was feeling peevish and I was feeling attacked by social media and these posts that seemed to be yelling directly at me, even though, of course, I knew that they weren't, uh, but they were always directed at a you. So like, you need to take climate change seriously. And I was like, yes, I know, but it's overwhelming sometimes. And instead of feeling energized or you know, spurred to action, I was feeling defeated. And, and frankly, I was feeling judged. So that's where the initial idea came from. And the story is written in second person, which is not super common and uses you. You look out the window, you see a fire hydrant. It reminds you of your mother. And something that uh, is discussed with second person is that it can make the reader feel like they're being judged. Like, what are you saying about my relationship with my mother? And uh, so it, it is not commonly used, but I wanted to use that feeling of judgment. I wanted it to be a part of the story. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'd, I'd envisioned it as like a scathing indictment of performative outrage, which I, of course, myself have, have taken part in. But I had also been experiencing writer's block, which always makes me grumpy and frustrated, to say the least. So then as what often happens when I start writing, when I actually started writing again, I started to feel empathy, that sort of peevishness subsided. And I started to feel empathy um, for myself and uh, for everyone else out there in pandemic land who were no doubt feeling just as helpless and frustrated as I did. And uh, these angry screeds that I was uh, reacting to uh, were a sign of fear and helplessness, more so than a personal attack, or at least, you know, that's what I was feeling. So I realized that I wasn't writing about anger, I was writing about fear. And uh, there are a lot of things that cause fear right now, but climate change has remained number one for me. And part of that was my personal connection. This, this story isn't memoir or autofiction, but my parents really were evacuated uh, this summer, once for fire and once for floods. So it is personal for me. I really enjoyed this story because it brings so many different things together. It brings family and climate change. And the connection there is overt and obvious in the story, but the connection between family and outrage culture is not so obvious. And I just loved the wonderful way it in which it does come together in the end. Thank you. And it, it, it was interesting. It, I don't generally plot out my short stories. Um, the, the novel that I'm working on, definitely, I've been defeated. That, that uh, uh, idea, that working uh, method has been defeated with the novel. There's a lot of plotting and planning going into it. But uh, that is just the way the story evolved. So it's always, honestly, a bit of a surprise for me, too, <laughs> when I get to the end and think, right, that works. Phew. <laughs> Nature has always figured prominently in your writing, whether as a refuge, a force to be respected, or something threatened by the extreme events of climate change, as it is in this story. Is it intentional or just something that ends up happening? I really love this question because it legitimately makes me pause. Like, is it intentional? 
And I think it's both, regardless of where a person stands, say on the write what you know or write what you don't know argument, it's always being argued. Uh, but I am firmly in the first camp. I use material from my life and I've spent a lot of time outdoors, but it's kind of a complicated relationship to the outdoors. Uh, generally, when I'm in nature, I'm pretty uncomfortable, even fearful sometimes. So it's not always this blissful place that some people experience. So from a purely pragmatic perspective, writing-wise, there's conflict there. And generally, I think that conflict makes for good fiction. But lately, uh, because climate change has been making itself impossible to ignore, like the heat dome in BC last summer, and, and from a personal perspective, hosting my entire family in our one-bedroom apartment, also good for conflict, uh, well, they waited to see if their community was going to burn to the ground, now the natural world is sort of finding its way into my stories, whether I like it or not. And it certainly did with Outraged. That was not even close to where I, where I began. Uh, I don't usually, as I said, I don't usually plot out my stories, but uh, while I'm just sitting there riffing away, that's what is, comes to me. And it's nature in the past, there's maybe been uh, the way I've explored setting, use nature as a setting because it's handy or because I think that there's some good crunchy conflict there about my relationship to nature. My relationship now is, is generally one of, of anxiety and fear about what's happening now and what the future holds. Uh, in this new collection uh, in Last Woman, I'm also working with things like late stage capitalism and feminism, but those things are wrapped up in our relationship to the land as well. Really, it's all connected. I want to talk to you about how magazines figure into your writing career. So your work has been published in magazines a number of times. What do you think about the Canadian magazine landscape and its role in a writer's career? Yeah, for me, magazines are absolutely essential because they create, among many things that they do, they create and foster community. So when I'm teaching or leading a workshop, the, the question of you know, how I got to where I am always comes up. And I always start with talking about the community that magazines create, how they, what they created for me, and how you can publish a story, say, for example, and someone might get in touch to say how they enjoyed it, or an editor might get in touch later to see what you're working on, or they, you know, they read your story and they're they're curious. Maybe you've got something for them. And how I I, I worked as an editor for a short time at Joyland Magazine, which is an online uh, publication. And as an editor, I got to meet people and get to know people through their work. I think writers can be, or well, I, maybe I won't speak generally, but uh, it almost couldn't be a generalization. But I'll I'll speak from my own perspective. I'm fairly awkward in social situations uh, and it's, you know, well, gatherings aren't necessarily all shop talk uh, to have something to focus on, to, to get people together. And sometimes writers can be a, a wonderfully awkward group. It's actually, I wouldn't have it any other way, but these launches and events I found were the easiest possible way to get to know people. And when we're uh, you know, looking forward to that in person, uh, when we're able to do that again, but even the online events, it's something that I always tell my students is go to the launches, go to the magazine launches and the journal launches. I do find that a lot of emerging writers seem somewhat convinced that the road to success is basically just toiling away in obscurity for a few years and then producing a best-selling novel. And I get it. That is the success story that gets pushed, but it doesn't happen very often. And it really doesn't play out that way exactly. 
there's almost always other people involved. That whole self-made man narrative is capitalism talking. So magazines grease the wheels for our careers, but even for those who might be a little shy to go to a launch, uh, reading a magazine, a journal, connects you to other writers' perspectives. And while you're not toiling away in obscurity, writing can be lonely. And so to pick up a magazine or a journal connects you to people who you might be far away from. They've maybe never been so important as they have been in the last couple of years, as we have been somewhat isolated from each other. So it's, it's a big part. I'm really grateful for the space that I was given and, and continue to be given in uh, magazines. That's wonderful advice for fledgling writers. Do you have any advice for a writer suffering from writer's block? I'm so glad you asked me this. Yes, first of all, it exists. And please don't feel discouraged by these writers who shout about it not being real. I'm not exact, I'm sure there's a reason, but I'm not exactly sure why they do that. Uh, and second, I, I don't want to frame this like advice exactly, because I know that when I'm down, the last thing I want to hear is people's opinions. But I will say what worked for me. I had to address my fears. I was afraid of failure. And strangely, but not really, if you think about it, I was afraid of success as well. And I had to address things like imposter syndrome, uh, self-worth, anxiety. Uh, but I should mention that I didn't do that alone. I started seeing a therapist who really helped me. And that's another reason why I can't frame this as advice. There's obvious privilege in having the ability to access therapy. But I can say that in the end, the result of that therapy, in the end, it, it, you know, you have to do work inside yourself. And I can say that learning to and remembering to speak to myself gently and kindly was the action that I needed to bring myself back. So not why aren't you writing? What's wrong with you? Or, you know, you'll never needed to be changed. And it can feel a little weird when you start speaking to yourself almost the way you would to a child. All right, buddy, we're doing great. This just another page. Or if not, that's okay. It's a firm gentleness that got me, helped me get back to my writing. From fear to empathy, right? And just being empathetic with yourself. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful to chat with you, Carly. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. That was Carly Baker reading her National Magazine award-winning story, Outraged on Your Behalf. You can follow her on her website, carlybaker.com, and on Twitter at OneLittleHusk. You can also follow her on Instagram at Carly underscore Bakes, but she recommends you follow her Bunny Oliver's account for more compelling content. It's Mr. Cranks on Instagram. That's M-R underscore Cranks. Want to know more about awards and other industry news? Sylvia Skeen has got the beat. I'm Sylvia Skeen, Executive Director of the Magazine Association of BC, and you're listening to The Beat. The Alberta Magazine Publishers Association released its shortlist of finalists for their 2022 awards on June 20th. These awards showcase not only great Alberta publications and content creators, but offer Magazine of the Year awards to Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and British Columbia publications. For BC, the Magazine of the Year finalists are Asparagus, Fly Fusion, and Folklife. Asparagus is dedicated to telling the stories of how we can live sustainably from an environmental, social, and cultural perspective. Fly Fusion reflects the soul of fly fishing. Folklife honors art and agriculture, business and creativity, food and farming, 
and dwellings in nature, all with the goal to slow the folk down. The awards gala will take place at the 2022 Alberta Magazines Conference, scheduled for September 22nd and 23rd, in person, in the Calgary area. Congratulations to all of the finalists. The National Media Awards Foundation announced its 2021 National Magazine Award winners in early June at a virtual event. One of today's guests on our podcast, Carly Baker, won the silver in fiction at the NMAs for her piece, Outraged on Your Behalf, published in issue 90 of Subterrain magazine. As a follow-up, the Foundation also plans to hold a professional development and networking event at the Globe and Mail Centre in Toronto on September 29th, for the many of you who miss talking to your peers and celebrating these awards together. If you're inspired to compete with the best of the best after hearing this podcast, but you're not sure what's out there, you can find a list of awards programs at magsbc.com under our resources section, along with hundreds of other resources for magazine professionals, freelancers, and students. MagsBC also posts a list of member magazine contest and submission deadlines every couple of months on our website. If you're interested in pitching an idea or submitting your content to a magazine, whether articles, stories, art, or other creative work, you can find this post under our news section. In other news, MagsBC is working with Trapeze Communications on the final few weeks of our member magazine awareness campaign. We've got a magazine for that, set to end July 15th. We will continue to add content from the many member magazines to our website for you to enjoy. Regarding professional development, many publishers have signed up for one or more of our 45-minute one-on-one online consultations with magazine doctors, quote-unquote, experts in online engagement, grant writing, sales and revenue, design, and digital marketing. It's gratifying to hear from attendees that they came away with great advice and actionable tips related specifically to their needs and their magazine's needs. For a deeper dive, We invite our members to request a half-day consultation with an expert through our Magazine Coach program, which we offer along with many other programs and services with the generous financial support of the Canada Periodical Fund and Creative BC. Finally, you may want to check out Monotype's 2022 Type Trends report, especially as designers often use fonts to produce high-impact visuals and a unique look within a magazine's layout or on a cover often for a modest cost. Identified trends include New Nouveau, which is a retelling of the Art Nouveau typographic story, Svelte Serifs, Organic Mod, and more. That's it for The Beat. Over to you, Asna. Thanks, Sylvia. That's Max BC Executive Director, Sylvia Scheme, with opportunities for you to learn more about the magazine industry across the province and country. That's it for this episode of iHeart Magazines. If you want to learn more about what you heard, head to maxbc.com. You can also find us on social media on Facebook at MagazinesBC, on Twitter at MagsBC, and also on Instagram at MagsBC. If you like what you hear, please hit like or follow on your podcast app or rate our show. If you use Apple Podcasts, consider leaving us a review. It helps other folks find the show iHeart Magazines is made possible thanks to financial support from the Government of Canada, 
with additional funding provided by Creative DC. This episode was hosted by me, Asna Sheikh. Production guidance by Sarah Hoyles. Theme music by Evie Sanchishan of Coma Media. Thanks for listening.